The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. As introduced before, I am uh, usually staying in Western Australia in a monastery there. Yeah, it's called Bodhiyana Monastery, and I live with the BSWA, the Buddhist Society of Double Western Australia, usually. And I was supposed to be back there already, but due to COVID, and the Western Australia still has quite tough border restrictions, good on them. That means that I'm still here. Good for me, I suppose. <laughs> it's actually very nice here. Uh, but what... In Western Australia, I was supposed to be teaching a course together with Ajahn Brahmali on mindfulness in the suttas. And I can't do that now over there because, well, I'm not there. So I thought maybe I should do it here instead. And there's a, a, one of the reasons for that is that I think we can make it quite interactive. And I hope you will all uh, interact with me today because now we are finally together to get together again and uh, if I would just be the one talking well maybe you would enjoy that but you've got the opportunity also to share a little bit so throughout this uh, talk I will be uh, asking some questions of you as well and so it will be a bit different than what you're used to probably also a bit different than what I am used to <laughs> because there will also be some slides and then basically like a, a sutta class for those of you who are familiar with that. I'll be looking at the uh, at the uh, speeches of the Buddha. What, what did the Buddha have to say about mindfulness? And I hope this is the right audience for a, a talk like this. We'll, we'll, we'll have to figure it out. I, I asked, can you announce it on the website that it will be a sutta class so we get the right type of persons, but it didn't get put on there, so it's all a surprise for you. <laughs> uh, so let me know as we go if this is working out or not. And if not, then we can always switch and try something else. I'm happy to improvise. So why mindfulness in the suttas? Why is that an important thing, I think, to talk about? Why should you, why should you care about this? Well, first of all, who here just took the five precepts while we were chanting them? Please put your hand up if you took them. Yes, I see it. almost every, I think everybody took them. Well, the five precepts is the decision to not to steal, not to lie, etc. You probably know them. You, you make a decision now to keep them. I remember first time when I was a lay person, must have been more than 15 years ago that I first took the precepts for myself. I had no monk there to, to give them to me, so I just took them for myself. And I decided, okay, from now on, I'm not gonna do my, I'm gonna do my very best not to lie anymore. That was maybe uh, one of the more important ones for my own practice. Not that I was a big liar, but sometimes you tell these tiny untruths sometimes just to make yourself look better or whatever. That's what I sometimes did, you know. And uh, after I took that precept, sometimes I was just 
busy in my life in university or whatever and i try to maybe want to say something that is like that tiny untruth and then it pops up in my head oh yeah i decided not to do that this is mindfulness actually when you remember for example your precepts that's an example of mindfulness so this is important to know about mindfulness if you want to keep your precepts that's one reason and, and i'll show you all this in much more detail later it's actually by the way this will be a two week uh cool, two week lesson so i'll be back next week again continue so who here is a meditator or who, who sometimes tries to meditate <laughs> everybody so of course then you also want to know what mindfulness is we hear so much about mindfulness these days preparing for this course i just looked a little bit on the internet about mindfulness what do people have to say about mindfulness and what kind of ideas are there out there about mindfulness and i realized how popular the concept has become you find it everywhere really in in psychology in hospitals even in amazon in Amazon warehouses, they have apparently now mindful practice room. And this is, I think, a great, great thing. That something from, from meditation that it, they took from the Buddhist practice is now becoming so, so popular. And it's even scientifically been shown to uh, help people a lot. So this is wonderful. But when I looked upon ideas that people had about mindfulness, I found that they don't fully align with the Buddhist texts. So that's why I wanted to give this course and to show you that what the Buddha said is maybe a bit different, a bit broader. And hopefully you can take something away from this from your own practice. So I want to ask you first, what do you think mindfulness is how would you define mindfulness is or how would you finish this sentence mindfulness is dot 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 anybody want to want to try don't be don't be afraid to give wrong answers here yes holding a single object and not forgetting yeah i like the non forgetting part we'll get back to that actually later yes very good anybody else yes Be present in the here and now. It can also be mindfulness, yes. Oh, there's even microphones here to help us out. We can use these mics. At yeah, they'll, they'll become in useful later. Anybody else? One more, yeah. Good morning, Mante. Good morning. What I have uh, learned from the texts and the dhamma talks so from that theoretical understanding mindfulness is the english word for the pali word sati which is the word for smriti i think in sanskrit which means remembering and keeping something in mind yes yes well maybe i don't have to give my talk anymore then <laughs> judging by all these answers yes very good i think maybe it is correct I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's excellent. 
Yes. Please go ahead. Oh, there's two microphones. It's, it's three microphones. Three even. <laughs> well, we can all talk at the same time. How about the lady with the, with the green uh, sweater? Did you want to say something? Awareness, okay, good, yeah. No self, no past, no future. Okay. Well, we got some ideas here. That's good. Well, it shows you that there's a lot of ideas, even in this room alone. And you've probably been listening to the same kind of teachings of the same monks here. And this is one of my points why I... This little exercise. People have lots of ideas about mindfulness. And these are not wrong, of course. Uh, all these meditation teachers and I teachings and ideas are very useful. But uh, through these lessons, I want to show you what the Buddha had to say about mindfulness. See if, if that's useful as well. But first, some common ideas that I found just this morning, actually, while I was putting this together, I found some uh, quotes on mindfulness in like, uh, this is one, it's by John Kabat-Zinn. Oh, John Kabat-Zinn, some of you might know, is, uh, I think he's a, he's a doctor, and he is one of the people who is, uh, in, in past, has been very influential in bringing the concept of mindfulness into hospitals and things like this. And basically, he sort of started off the mindfulness revolution, you could say. His definition is, mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. And I'll actually tell you right now that I, uh, the Buddha would not have agreed with this definition, which I hope to show you throughout this, uh, these slides later on. Um, there's a popular meditation app which says, mindfulness is to be fully present, engaged in the moment, aware of your thoughts, without distraction or judgment. And again, the no judgment thing again. And there's a Buddhist monk who will, uh, can't remember his name. Simply being attentive, present, observing experiences as it is. See, these all have sort of similar ideas there. And I would say these were not the ideas of the Buddha. I'm not saying these ideas aren't helpful. And probably maybe some of you also thought of mindfulness like this. And... Uh, which is uh, not wrong per, per se, but the Buddha had a different idea of mindfulness. So I would say the, how the word mindfulness is used nowadays is with these definitions, but how the Buddha used it and how I myself use it in my practice and how many other uh, Buddhists also use it is different. So... To sum up those quotes that we've seen before, I, I would like to put it like this. Mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. This is like the, the view that I'm going to uh, investigate with you all. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you draw your own conclusions here. <laughs> I'll just present you some evidence from the suttas and also from other teachers that this is a bit of a narrow idea. But would you agree that this mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, that this is how it's often presented? Who, who recognizes this, just not our, yeah? Yeah, 
So this is how mindfulness is often presented to us as non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. You just sit there or stand or whatever and you have no judgment and you're just in the present moment and you're aware. Wonderful practice, but maybe not what the Buddha had in mind with mindfulness. So I want to take this uh, definition apart and I want to look at every term and then put it in light of the suttas. So I want to start by looking at non-judgmental. What does that mean? And is that, does that apply to the suttas? The suttas are the texts uh, where we have the uh, oldest uh, reliable words of the Buddha. So we'll talk first about non-judgmental. Then about present moment. Is mindfulness always about present moment? Hmm? I'm going to say to you already, no, it doesn't have to be present moment. can be, but doesn't have to be. It's definitely not, judge, not, not judgmental, that's what I, I would say. But as a, again, I'll let you draw your own conclusions later. Then, if we get to it today, we'll look also at, is it awareness or not? Or is there more going on? I already heard some nice answers. That means something like remembering and not forgetting as well. And this will definitely be next week. I want to also see, maybe we can find other translations for the word. This gentleman already said that, uh, that the original word means something like remembrance or something like that. Which uh, is actually also a way to think about it. So mindfulness, we'll look at the word later as well. So I want to question this, this, this uh, definition, starting with non-judgmental part. Is mindfulness non-judgmental according to the Buddha? Again, I'm very happy that people use these kind of definitions in, in, in psychology settings and clinical settings and wherever actually they use this and they teach people this, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I have nothing against this. Just want to say, in the suttas, mindfulness means something different, I think. So non-judgmental. Let's look at that first. Here's the Buddha speaking. Come, venerables. He's talking to the monks and nuns, and, but also to lay people, of course. Ward the gates of the senses with mindfulness as your guard, with protective mindfulness. Have a guarded mind. A mind guarded by mindfulness. So you see there the picture of the guard. Yeah. And actually this guard can't see very much, can't he? <laughs> so if your mindfulness, if you're meditating or you're in your daily life, your mindfulness is non-judgmental, would, would that be a good thing to have a guard that is non-judgmental? Ajahn Brahm, my teacher, often tells a story of the guard who is guarding the king's treasure. And the king hires this guard and puts him in front of the treasure room. And he tells the guard, stand here, guard the treasure room, be mindful. Then the thief comes into the treasure room and the guard sees the thief and the and the guard is like, mindful, 
Thief going in. Note the top. Thief going in. Thief going in. Thief is in the room. Note the thought. Thief is in the room. Thief coming out. <laughs> Note the thought. Thief. Is that a good guard? No. You lose your treasure. And it's the same with meditation. You have to protect. For example, if you have a really good mind state of happiness, you have to protect it. And if you have virtuous conduct, as I gave before the example about not lying, you have to protect that in a way. So you have to actually be judgmental about this. You have to, in meditation, steer your mind in the right direction. And in uh, with uh, guarding here, guarding the senses or guarding your conduct, you also have to do the right thing. So mindfulness is actually the opposite of non-judgmental. Here's another quote by the Buddha. Just like the gatekeeper of a king's frontier, frontier, frontier citadel is smart, competent, and clever in order to protect its inhabitants and ward off foreigners, the noble students or the noble disciples are mindful. So you're mindful to protect inhabitants and ward off foreigners. That stands for you protect your good qualities inside of yourself and you try to keep away or not indulge in your bad qualities. For example, if you get anger, angry, you don't just sit there, okay, angry. Non-judgmental about angry. Instead, you're like, okay, maybe I do meta practice instead because I'm angry. Maybe I should bring up some loving kindness now in this moment. So you're actually that way judgmental. Way. Or you might be meditating, getting like this, really sleepy. And you could be non-judgmental about that. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But you could also think, okay, I'm getting sleepy. Maybe I should change my posture a bit more upright to get more awake or do walking meditation or whatever. This is all mindfulness. You sort of make a judgment about what's going on in your mind. So with mindfulness as the gatekeeper, they abandon what is unwholesome and blamable, develop what is wholesome and blameless, and protect their purity. Your mindfulness as the gatekeeper, abandon what is unwholesome. For example, you're meditating and you get really restless. Then are you just going to say, okay, really restless? I'll be non judgmental about that. That may actually work. To be honest, if you're non-judgmental about being restless, you may actually become more peaceful just by that practice. So it's not that being non-judgmental is always bad, but it uh, you have to first recognize that you're restless and then you know, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah, because in meditation, we actually, we, you should have a goal in mind in meditation to become more peaceful and more happy so that when you come out of meditation you are more at ease and you and the world seems like a more gentle place and you're more kind and loving and if you go into meditation with no goal whatsoever just sit there and that is not 
and that is not abandoning what is unwholesome and blameable and developing what is wholesome. So if we de develop all these wholesome states of mind in meditation, we abandon the unwholesome ones. And especially as five, what the Buddha called unwholesome states, there are five hindrances, which five? Sense, desire, ill will, drowsiness and sleepiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. It sounds like seven, but uh, drowsiness and sleepiness counts as one, and restlessness and worry also counts as one. So in that way, you arrive at five. To abandon these five hindrances, you should develop the four ways of mindful attending. That's the four satipatthanas. Here the Buddha is very clearly saying, we do the mindful meditation, the satipatthana, to abandon five hindrances, to actually go beyond sense desires, ill will, yeah, anger, to go beyond drowsiness and sleepiness, and all these things. So if we would have sense desire and we just be non-judgmental about that, then uh, maybe that's not what the Buddha had in mind with mindfulness. Because mindfulness is actually supposed to help us to abandon all these things. So, if you meditate like this, which we, we probably recognize all of these, we've got the ill will monk there, the sense desire monk, restlessness and worry monk, the doubt monk, the sloth and torpor monk. <laughs> we, we will recognize this in meditation. But is this ideal, is this the goal of meditation, to be like this? Fall asleep, be in doubt, restlessness? No. Of course, it will happen. It's all right if it does, but uh, we try to go beyond these five hindrances of the mind. When we abandon these hindrances, the mind becomes clear and bright, happy, and that is the eventual goal of meditation. So, I want to ask you now, what do you think after this evidence from the suttas? Is mindfulness non-judgmental? What do you think? And maybe you can add your own little reflection to that as well. Anybody want to say something about that? Gentleman in the back there, or here at the front. Um, hello. Uh, just with the non-judgmental, um, I think, yeah, I agree with everything you said, but I'm just wondering... Uh, with mindfulness, though, we don't want to cultivate resistance, I guess, to these feelings. So maybe I'm one asking you, would you feel that um, resistance and negative emotion, that, kind of, that connotation of judgmental? Yes, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good thing. Often when we think judgmental, we think negative judgment, yeah. But negative judgment is like a part of ill will, in a sense. So that you should abandon as well. So it's like yeah, judgment almost implies negative uh, idea. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't say judgment because the Buddha didn't call it judgment. But yeah, discernment. That's a good uh, good way to say it. Thank you. Hello, one, two. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to maybe suggest discerning or discriminating. Um, yeah. 
like uh, discriminate uh, or discern between um, wholesome and unwholesome thoughts, I guess. It's, yeah, perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Maybe I accidentally called mindfulness judgmental in in what I just said. That I didn't intend to say that. I just wanted to say that this is not non-judgmental, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And then whatever opposite word we use, uh, yeah, discernment sounds very good, actually. Uh, but yeah, judgmental has a bit of negative implications. Yeah. Yes, I, I was just going to support... Uh, the point made at the front, because um, part of my practice is to try to be less judgmental, if you like, yes. uh, about people and behaviours and uh, try and understand them. Uh, thank you. Thank you, yes. So I apologise if, if I have said mindfulness is judgmental, because that's not what I meant to say. Uh, because now I realize now, after your comments, thank you very much, that judgmental has uh, these implications of negativity. Yeah, And mindfulness, I don't mean to say, is negativity, <laughs> of course. But I'm, what I'm trying to say here, when people say non-judgmental, they usually mean allow whatever comes up to come up. But I'm saying, okay, that's not really what the Buddha had in mind because some things they come up in your mind and you actually should do something about it yeah like this ill will and things like that so in a way you are well ju not judgmental but you are aware and you uh, are discerning knowing what to do and not not just being there and allowing whatever happens happens So non-judgmental, maybe that's not what mindfulness is. So now a little quiz for you all. What meditation practice is non-judgmental? This is for the, for the Buddhist scholars out there who might know this. There's many meditation practices that we do in Buddhism. Anybody has any idea what is non-judgmental? Zazen? Zazen. Shikantata. Just sitting. I'm not f not very familiar with that. Could be, actually. Yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're correct, but that's not the answer I had in mind. But Meta practice? Close? Yes? Yes. I've heard already people saying it now. We're getting there. Um, Jana? <laughs> Yes, okay, yes, that's non-judgmental. Still not the one I'm looking for, though. I think I heard somebody say it somewhere in the back. Uh, yes, I mean, Equanimity. Exactly, like yes, some, some people here in the front said it as well. Equanimity. And the Pali word for that is upeka, so I'm not... Don't think everybody here is familiar with this practice, but there is the Buddha in Buddhism the four Brahma Viharas, as metta, as compassion. There is uh, rejoicing, yeah, being happy because other people uh, get good things, and then the fourth one is equanimity, and equanimity literally means looking on. 
So you just, whatever happens, happens basically, is equanimity and no judgmental uh, about what happens in your mind or what happens with other people. This is equanimity. So the Buddha did actually have a place for non-judgmental and just whatever happens, allow it to be. He had a place for that in practice. It's very important. As I said before, I'm not neglecting this, but it's not mindfulness per se. I would say it fits better under the header of equanimity. Does that make some sense, people? Am I not losing you already? Okay, thank you. So, we look now at the non-judgmental, and you can make your own judgment about that. <laughs> so, how about present moment? This is another part of the definition that we often hear. Mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. I want to question that as well. What did the Buddha have to say about present moment with regards to mindfulness? Here's one practice. Buddha says, how is mindfulness of death developed and cultivated to be very fruitful and beneficial? And I cut out a bit of the sutta because otherwise these quotes get very long. So dot, dot, dot. As day passes by and night draws close, a mendicant, that means like a, a monk or a nun, but could also mean any lay people, reflects, I might die of many causes. This is called mindfulness of death. So the contemplation that we will one day die. It could be any moment, really. But usually it's in the future, right? <laughs> yeah. So I might die one day. This is the mindfulness of death. You. Some people are very afraid to do this practice, but it can actually be very beneficial because it's a reality that we are going to die one day. And having that idea in your mind makes you aware of your priorities in life when you're doing something that may be a bit of a waste of time sometimes you think okay maybe life is not so long who knows how much longer i have to live maybe i should spend more time with my loved ones I should spend more time uh, developing my myself doing the things i love instead of wasting time on things that don't really give much benefit in the end. Yeah. So this is one reason for mindfulness of death. But of course, death is in the future. So mindfulness of death is not present moment, I would say. Here's another one. That gives another quote that gives some uh, idea about mindfulness in the suttas. A bhikkhu hears the Dhamma, well, there goes a whole passage before that that I, I just sort of summarized by Abhikku. So this is based on Venerable uh, Bodhi, Bhikkhu Bodhi's translations. So Abhikku, here's the Dhamma. I'll just summarize the whole passage there. Whenever Bhikkhus, Abhikku dwelling thus, thus withdrawn, re recollects that Dhamma and thinks it over, on that occasion the aligned factor of mindfulness is aroused by the bhikkhu. So, if you are meditating and you remember an instruction that you've read or heard 
or, or any other way you uh, recollect something to do in your practice. And that is also mindfulness, as it says here. When you recollect the teachings and you use mindfulness. And of course you recollect something from the past. Yeah? Maybe somebody taught you metta meditation. Then you re re remember that. You should meditate. Oh yeah, metta meditation. You remember, oh yeah, this is how they instructed me in the past. And that is, according to this quote, also a way to use mindfulness. Because you remember what you're supposed to be doing in your meditation. Just like before I gave the example of me remembering the precepts when I was a lay person. Of course, now as a monk, I have many more precepts to remember. But those early, early precepts still stand out because I realize how you can sort of program your mind. Like, okay, I won't lie anymore. Or at least I'll do my best not to lie anymore. And then later on, when you're about to lie, suddenly the thought pops up. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. That's mindfulness. The same in meditation. You also build like uh, in your mind, you, you, you have an idea what you want to do in meditation. For example, you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to focus on the breath now. And then you focus and you lose it. But then you remember, oh yeah, I was supposed to be focusing on the breath now. But then you sort of remember what you're supposed to be doing. And that remembering is part of mindfulness. Here's another one. You should recollect your own generosity, thus. When thus means like in this way. And then the Buddha says how you should do it, but I keep these quotes a bit short, so dot, dot, dot again. And thus you should establish mindfulness internally based on generosity. This translation is a little bit awkward, I feel. I'll get back to that later. But for now, you see, Recollect your own generosity is also a way of mindfulness. You remember some good act you did. Maybe you shared a, a candy bar like this person here. So maybe you can all to have a little tiny break from me talking. Just spend a minute and remember something nice you did. Some gener generous act that you've done in, in the past. Bring it up, that memory may take a while. Ask yourself, when was I really kind to somebody? When did I share something? And how does it feel to remember your act of generosity? Feels selfless in a way. Feels, always feels good when you remember 
when you get when you gave something or you helped somebody out. This is also a way to practice with mindfulness, actually to remember something from the past, something positive. So also that the Buddha said is a way of using mindfulness. So then present moment, what do we think? Is this all there is to mindfulness? Anybody has any comments on that? What do we think? Who hands up when you think mindfulness is only about present moment? Zero hands for the audience on YouTube. Who thinks there's maybe a bit more to it than just present moment? Ah, many hands. Okay. Well, if that's all I got across today, I would be very happy. Yeah? Because actually in our practice, it's important sometimes to also use the past to inform the present. If you always meditate in the same way and make the same mistake every time in your meditation, then you're not getting anywhere. So what mindfulness does then it actually uses the experiences of the past to inform your practice right now. For example, when you may get into an angry mind state and you know, you might remember, okay, last time I got into an angry mind state like this and I did this and that, I just keep thinking about that annoying monk who always <laughs> does X, Y, Z. And if I just keep on that, non-judgmentally or whatever and it doesn't work I just get more angry about that monk instead I reflect in it. let me reflect in a different way right now yeah so you remember in the past that this didn't work so maybe today I should try some loving kindness instead I just want to tell you a little story this has nothing to do with the lecture but it just came up to me while I was saying this that uh, in Bodhinyana Monastery, where I usually live, we have, uh, big, we have many monks there. There's about 25 monks. And so we also have a big toilet block with toilets and showers, so the monks don't have their own toilets and showers in their little huts. We have to walk to the evolution block, we call it. So, uh, of course, it has to be cleaned, and it's every time it's another monk's uh, duty to clean the evolution block. And one time it was my turn to clean the evolution block. And I was cleaning it, and everywhere were shampoo bottles and special soaps and bars of this and things of that. And I, and I just had in my mind this one monk... I thought, this one monk, he lays all his stuff all the time everywhere. Why can't he just clean it up? Ah, so the whole time during that cleaning up, I was annoyed with this one monk. Uh, that he didn't clean up his stuff. Then the next day, what do you think? I stand in the evolution block, probably sh shaving or taking a shower or whatever. And this one monk comes in. And I thought, aha, maybe he'll notice. And you know what he said? He said, ah, Sunyo, thank you so much for cleaning all that up. I was all 
about to do it myself. <laughs> it always annoyed me so much that people leave their stuff everywhere. <laughs> so I realized it wasn't this monk at all. I was just making this up in my mind. The whole story that it wasn't even true. And I just got annoyed about over nothing really. Got annoyed. I don't know, because it's just my mind, I suppose, at that moment. But uh, it learned me a lot, actually, to not, not have my judgment about people ready before I know all the facts. <laughs> yeah, so I remember that now. Don't act like that again in the future. So that's also a way to use mindfulness in a way. I program my mind. Okay, next time I'm cleaning the evolution block and there's soaps everywhere that are... Whatever, this is just people leaving their stuff. I leave my own stuff as well, so who knows. I'm not going to go ang get angry anymore. At, definitely not at specific monks. So this is also a way to use your, your mindfulness. So present moment, maybe not. So not a quiz for the Sutta experts. Are there any suttas in the Pali Canon on being in the present moment? This is a difficult question. Don't expect you to know the answer. Nobody puts their hand up. It's a bit of an obscure sutta. Oh, there is somebody who would like to say something. They changed his mind. That's cool. So there are some suttas actually on the present moment. And uh, there, there's actually a few, and they're called the Bad Ekarata Suttas. And it's usually translated an excellent night. And I would love to go into it, but I don't go in too much detail. But I recommend you to, to read it. And the suttas say to not dwell on the past, because the past has gone. To not get, get too uh, excited about the future, because the future hasn't come yet. And if you dwell like that, you might have an excellent night or an excellent day or whatever. That's what the Buddha says. So instead, he says, instead of dwelling too much on the past or on the future, you stay in the present moment. And of course, this is a very important practice as well. But it's not mindfulness per se. That's sort of my point with these lectures. You can be mindful of the present moment. You can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to meditate and I'll be in the present moment. I do that all the time. But mindfulness is not, per definition, present moment. You can also be mindfulness of things of the past. Uh, I know this is not a question. These suttas on an excellent ma ma night, which are all about present moment, do they mention mindfulness? No, they don't actually. So that's just another interesting, interesting thing. How much longer have we got long then? Okay. Uh, okay. I I think we'll incorporate the questions and answers in the in the lecture then. So maybe. Are there any questions so far? Already made it quite interactive and uh, yeah. 
Bante, they, um, we often hear the term um, bear awareness. Yes. And that's how I, um, I see the mindfulness as, as something that just kicks in. It's not like you can summon this thing. It just sort of, it just kicks in. And um, at, at that point, we, whatever, we, we can put our attention on, on some object. So, not yeah. sure whether this is a question or not, but but that's how I that's how I'm sort of seeing the mindfulness. I mean, you you went through those various various aspects of mindfulness and yeah. even like judgmental and so on, which kind of challenged me on those. Mm-hmm. But now I'm sort of seeing it as you know that that it, the bare awareness. It's it's just the awareness that kicks in, and um, and whatever we rest our awareness on is is the mindfulness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think when people use the term bare awareness, they sort of imply the non-judgmental as well. That's what I think, like bare just being aware of whatever arises is sort of synonymous with non-judgmental. But then we, I think, that's how they use it. Then we come back again to this uh, idea by the Buddha that if you just allow whatever whatever your mind does as in bare awareness then maybe you might also allow the bad things (laughs) and actually the unwholesome states and those we should actually try to avoid for example if you're uh, meditating as a monk and it's about to be lunchtime and you all only think of what can I get for lunch? What can I, is there, will there be my favorite dal or whatever? Then, uh, yeah, maybe you should change your meditation somehow so that you don't get drawn into these kind of desires because it'd just be a waste of time, that meditation. So then you have to actually use more than just bare awareness. You have to actually just tell yourself, okay, first of all, you have to recognize you have to, in a way, remember that this sense desire is a problem that you'd better avoid in meditation. To think about food is not its not going to be very helpful. So that's the first thing of mindfulness you remember. Okay, maybe I change my meditation, change my direction. Maybe I contemplate that food is just food, you know. It's just to fill, you, fill yourself. Especially for as a monk, we do this practice. Uh, or we focus on the all the hard work that goes into the food instead of how it tastes we focus on all the the people put all the work into the cooking and so we reflect on things differently so we don't get drawn into sense desire but instead into more wholesome mind states oh yeah bare awareness is another term that's used and actually you see here on the line now on the slide the word awareness that's the next one i want to investigate is that is that mindfulness is that all there is to mindfulness awareness so maybe your answer, your question will be answered in the next uh, half an hour or so. Langdon. Bante, thank you. There's a, there is a question that came up from the online audience. I think it was in relation earlier in the talk when you, we were talking about um, uh, discernment and uh, being a, a, the opposite of non-judgmental, whatever we decided that was. Mm-hmm. And someone asked... 
I just have to find it, sorry. Isn't it a good, or isn't it good not to be a control freak? So I think there was just a bit of confusion how far this discernment and judging or whatever we will call it, does it go as far as being a control freak? That's an excellent question, actually. Thanks so much for bringing that up. I almost would have skipped over that. Yeah, I'm treating, I'm showing you now that mindfulness is a little bit of a guard of our practice, of our precepts, but also of our meditation. So mindfulness has to use some discernment and make some make some choices actually um, about what direction the meditation should go in. And once we realize that there is this this guard or this um, um, what other word did the Buddha use again? Like the the mindfulness is also called like a governor in the suttas. So once we realize we have this ability to practice like that, it can turn into yeah too much of control freak. Like maybe you're meditating, okay, uh, too much restlessness. Okay, do this and that. Okay, also isn't working. Oh, maybe do this. Okay, uh, no. Okay, too, maybe I should do meta meditation. Okay, yeah, meta. Okay, yeah, it's work. Nah, maybe not. Maybe I should do this and that. So, if you keep too much con control, let's call it control. That's also not good. So then you have to actually realize, oh, too much control is leading also to problems. And I would say, if we had to categorize too much control under the five hindrances, then it falls under restlessness. Too much restlessness. So then actually you have to think, okay, what practices can I do to let go of this control and to be less restless? And then, for example, practices like contentment, gratitude, equanimity, yeah? So equanimity, just looking on is what it literally means. Upeka, upa on, and peka means looking. So just looking on. So that is sort of like non-judgmental awareness. Has a place in practice. Saying and not saying, don't never use it. Actually, I very, very often use it. And it's very, very beneficial. But there's more to mindfulness. Yeah. So sometimes you actually have to uh, use more than just your awareness. You actually have to use your wisdom as well. Uh, uh, yes, so I find in my meditation that my, uh, sometimes when I'm meditating, my mindfulness wanes. And I think this is because of my karma in, in previous lives, you know. And I've, reflect, I've reflected on this process. So what happens when I'm mindful and I'm holding my breath, single-pointedness on the breath? Uh, my alertness, it wanes. Um, then inappropriate attention comes in. And then, <laughs> and then you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, stopping off at the supermarket at the end of the session and getting the milk or like this, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I just wanted to know what your, you know, what your thoughts were on that and... Uh, you know, like I've, I've heard about um, meditating. Every time you meditate, you get good karma. For example, and the more you familiarise, you mix your mind with oh, it, okay, then this will yeah. continue. But what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, my thoughts are welcome to life. 
<laughs> okay, hands up everybody who never has this kind of thoughts in meditation. Yeah, well, hands up if you do. Yeah, well, see, it's nothing to do with your past lives. It's just about uh, being human and not, not enlightened. Then you got sometimes distractions going on in your mind. And uh, it's just the way it is. And that is just something we realize. And we realize, okay, maybe we can uh, learn in our meditation. And it's a slow process. But as you learn, you'll become better at it and you'll be able to more easily let go of thoughts about the future for example about the supermarket yeah. this is the same thing as i had with the food and the supermarkets as sort of the same thing yeah for a monk it's like oh what will people offer me for lunch today for you is like what can i get at the supermarket today it's exactly the same <laughs> So then you learn, okay, maybe that's not so useful to think about that in meditation. What you can do is when you sit in meditation and you realize you're planning about going to the supermarket, what you can do is say to yourself, okay, I want to plan what to go to the supermarket apparently. I'll do that after meditation. You just set, say to yourself, I'll, there's nothing wrong with planning for the supermarket, but not right now. Right now I'm meditating. So I'll do that later. And that is also a way to like program your program your mindfulness. Thank you. Thank you. And good questions. Very good questions. Bante, we started uh, asking for a definition of mindfulness. As I see the Buddha described the practice or the process of mindfulness as a training process, the Satra Satipatthana, that leads to liberation, uh, rather than right to give a definition of mindfulness. But for the a person who is liberated or arahat, if you ask what is mindfulness, for that person it is no self, no future, no past, just a moment. So, so it it. it the division varies from the real mindfulness of Arahat, who, who has it, or for those who are developing to be a, the practice, it is different. You use mindfulness to develop yourself uh, by using various methods, as you said, uh, collect, I mean, judging for your cankers, uh, arising, practicing the generosity. All those things can be used mindfully in order to develop. So I think for me, Mindfulness is a process or a phenomena that we have to practice to develop ourselves to re reach Nibbana. Yes. Uh, thank you for the comment. I think, yeah, mindfulness will be different as you practice on the path. You have to focus on different things. And then eventually, if when one day you get enlightened, it will be very different than from what you're doing right now. Yeah, of course. But uh, there will still be some mindfulness. I'd say the Buddha, for example, could still recollect on the good things that he did, in a way. Is that also sort of mindfulness? But when he, when an enlightened person has to give a talk, they also say, okay, right now I'm going to give a talk, I'm not going to meditate here, <laughs> for example. Or when they meditate, they're like, maybe program their mind, I'm going to meditate for an hour here, and then afterwards I'll go do anything else. So yeah. There's still a place for mindfulness when you're enlightened, but it's no longer about developing yourself. 
Oh, thanks for that. So, yeah, um, as I said, uh, this was supposed to be a two-part thing. Uh, I think we should continue a bit more. Look at awareness, because there were some questions here about bare awareness and how does that play into mindfulness. And I must say, the more we go into the nitty-gritty of it, the more the details stop mattering really i think the most important thing was to realize that mindfulness is non not non-judgmental you actually sometimes have to make a discernment about your state of mind or about your actions that you're doing in your life yeah that is actually is a part of mindfulness but that's the most important thing that i wanted to get across today sometimes you have to use positive judgment yeah not not negative judgment but have to be wise about things then about the present moment awareness it's already getting a little bit less interesting but it's important to know that you can also use meditation that is about the past like the generosity for example also when you're developing your wisdom when when one day you go or maybe you've gone into very deep meditations we call them the jhanas then afterwards you come out then you reflect back upon those experiences so there's also has to do with the past and there's also mindfulness about that about the future so mindfulness is not just about the present moment that's the second thing now is mindfulness awareness it's already getting as i said it's getting more nitty-gritty and it matters less and less but still i think it's interesting to look at uh, what the suttas and other teachers have to say about this. And I'm not sure how far we'll get, but we'll just stop when time is over, and then next week we can continue. I'll be here again next week. So here is a text by the Buddha. And I won't give you the context, uh, because it'll take too long, but it goes like this. Suppose a king had a frontier city. The gatekeeper posted there. Hey, there's the gatekeeper again. Yeah, we... You might know where this is going now. The gatekeeper posted there would be wise, competent, and intelligent. One who keeps out the strangers and admit acquaintances. A swift pair of messengers would come from the east to that city and ask the gatekeeper, where, good man, is the lord of the city? And then there's a few more things happening with the dot, dot, dot. And then the Buddha says, city is a term for this body, this person. The gatekeeper is a term for the mindfulness. A swift pair of messengers is a term for the serenity and discernment. That is like uh, a samatha vipassana. And the lord of the city is a term for the consciousness, for I would say for the awareness. So here the Buddha is, first of all, again, giving the simile of the mindful gatekeeper. Yeah, so... The gatekeeper is wise, competent, and intelligent, keeping out the strangers, admitting acquaintances. So when we have mindfulness in our practice, we have to be wise, competent, intelligent, yeah, well, in a way. Uh, we have to be clever. Maybe that's better than intelligent. Because intelligent people often think about IQ tests and things like that, you know. <laughs> but that is not whether you're good at math or something. It's nothing to do with whether you're a good meditator, of course. So, but we have to be, have to, yeah, as I said a couple of times already, if you have a gatekeeper who is non-judgmental and just lets in anybody, 
then you get the thieves coming in. Yeah, you might get the thieves coming into your mind and stealing all your joy and peace yeah? and leaving behind all the rubbish. We don't want that. We want to keep out the thieves and we want to admit only the acquaintances. We want to admit in the peace and joy and happiness and those kind of things. But then the second thing I want to point out here is that actually the Buddha makes a distinction here between the lord of the city, as in the, the consciousness, the awareness, and then on the other hand, you have the gatekeeper, which is the mindfulness. So it seems here that the Buddha does not equate mindfulness to the consciousness or the awareness. Seems that they are different things to him. There's actually already many other words which mean something like awareness. We've got vinyana, that was just in the sutta. It's consciousness. We've got manasikara, means attention. Upeka, which we've looked at before, has uh, this idea of awareness as well, because it literally means looking on, uh, often translated equanimity. And there's anupassa, which is uh, in the uh, Sadhupatthana suttas happens all the time, which means to observe. I translate it to meditate on. Now there's the word sampajanya, which also means awareness. And sampajanya is often found together with sati. Sati is actually the Pali word that is translated as mindfulness. And very often in the suttas the Buddha says, be sati sampajanya, so it means be mindfulness and aware. Be mindful and aware. So the two seem to be like awareness and mindfulness naturally go together, but technically, maybe slightly different things. Again, as I said, we're getting very nitty-gritty here, and how much this matters for practice, we could question. But I think it's interesting to look at just what the Buddha had to say. And as I said before, this is a sutta class, so you get into a bit more of those kind of details. So sati, does it also mean awareness? Sati, usually translated mindfulness. Question mark for now. I'll put there. Thank you. Um, I just had a question about the mindfulness and awareness in terms of energy. So I guess sometimes in meditation you might get a bit slightly dull, but you still may be aware of what's going on or a bit yeah. mindful. But is that true mindfulness or sampajana? Is that? Or is that a slightly less refined version, so to say? There's a lot in that question. First yeah, of all, sorry. there is uh, there is the question, is that true mindfulness? Well, in a way, once you re recognize, oh, I'm getting dull. Yeah, You're meditating and you suddenly realize, oh, I'm getting dull. That's a moment of mindfulness. Because you remember, oh, I'm getting dull. This is not ideal, but sometimes it's just nice to meditate like this. I do that sometimes on purpose, so it's, I don't judge it in that sense, you know. But it's a realization, okay, this is not the way meditation ideally should be going, so maybe sometimes you don't want to indulge in that and just try to energize yourself somehow. So once you realize that, that is mindfulness, so in a way that's true mindfulness. It's also the thing that your awareness and your uh, ability to um, know what's going on in your mind that uh, has different strengths 
can have different strengths to it. So when you're really a little bit dull, then it's also hard to even realize that you're dull because because you're dull. <laughs> you know, you can not often not realize for a long time. Suddenly you do, but but there's also the opposite of dullness, which is like really sharp awareness, and uh, it can be come incredibly sharp. I would say most of the people are actually half asleep, even in the moments that they think they are most aware. You, unless you've experienced the really, really deep meditations, you actually have been asleep most of your life. Yeah? When, the, when the mind goes really, really deep, and this is exactly why the Buddha encouraged this, us to practice this. The mind becomes so sharp that you can just focus on whatever uh, point of Dhamma or uh, even even if it challenges you a lot. But that's sort of, I'm getting off topic now, but the mind becomes so sharp and courageous and so aware that you can see so much detail and you, then you can really investigate. For example, you might see might see the candle here on the shrine and it looks okay it's like look for you now for me as well now at this moment it looks like just an ordinary candle once you've had a really deep meditation and like i mean i mean like proper proper deep the jhanas for example and you look at can look at that candle and you can see all universe in the candle it's so much detail it's amazing how much you can see and your mind is totally different just uh there's so much possibility in the mind. And so that is when it becomes true mindfulness, <laughs> in a sense. Thank you. So, is, is sati, is mindfulness, is that awareness? Well, we've already seen maybe there's more to it. Yeah, I wouldn't exclude it per se, but... I want to introduce you, I want, don't want to do all the talking myself. <laughs> I want to introduce you to another monk who's been very insp uh, inspirational in my life when I was uh, still a lay person and just look up on the internet. My first time is ever looking up mindfulness on the internet. What is it? When I still not didn't know much, I was just starting my meditation. And I think this was one of the very first videos that I saw. And I was very lucky to have seen this video. And I'll show it to, it to you right now. And one translation for Sampajanya, apart from clear comprehension, which I, I like a lot, is alertness. That sense of wakefulness, clarity, uh, knowing. So uh, mindfulness means um, bearing in mind, not forgetting. So what are you not forgetting? You're not forgetting whatever you need to remember in any particular situation. Now in, the, in daily life it might be, uh, you know, you're not forgetting what your duties, your responsibilities are. In meditation it means you're not forgetting the, the, uh, the tasks that you've set yourself, in particular the, um, the uh, being with the meditation object um, without letting it go, even for a moment. So, um, apart from that not forgetting the present object, the meditation object, you're also not forgetting 
the information, the, um, the good words of advice that you got from your spiritual teacher. So um, Satya mindfulness doesn't mean exclusively awareness. Uh, it means remembering. Um, in, in certain cases it's used to mean memory. But here it means remembering what needs to be remembered in order to uh, perform the meditation technique correctly. Just to show you that I'm not the only one who says these kind of things. <laughs> I'm not the heretic here. And one translation oh. for Sampajanya. No, we know it already. Comprehension, which I, I like. Huh. Yes. And here's another monk, Venerable Sujato, who you might have known, might know, because I think he's taught here as well. Mindfulness may be characterized as the quality of mind that recollects and focuses awareness within a, an appropriate frame of reference, like, for example, the breath or whatever you're meditating on, bearing in mind the what, why, and how of the task at hand. Mindfulness as a mental quality plays a crucial role in recollecting the teachings, the teachings of the Buddha or or your spiritual uh, uh, teachers or whatever, and applying them to the present moment, thus supporting the right view. So for example, you remember when Sunyo said, oh, you're meditating, don't think about the uh, supermarket. It's like you recollect the teachings. By reminding one of what is right and wrong, it supports the sense of conscience, which is vital for virtue. So this is where I started with, like, uh, the refraining from lying, for example, you remind what is right and wrong, supports this conscience. So this is another bhikkhu who says the same thing. And actually in Buddhist circles, this idea of mindfulness as remembering, recollecting, bearing in mind is actually uh, very prevalent. Uh, so I'm not teaching anything new here. But I have seen that it does get lost sometimes. And that's why I wanted to focus on this. So you see also Bhikkhu Sujato has the same ideas as, as I do. Here is another Bhikkhu, Ajahn Brahm, who you might know. <laughs> Mindfulness also guides the awareness to specific areas, remembers the instructions, initiates a response. For instance, the Buddha gave an instructions about right effort. When wise meditators observe an unwholesome state trying to break in, they try to stop the defilement. For example, you see sense desire coming in, an example that I've given a few times now. You try to stop it somehow by guiding your mind another way. And in Ajahn Brown's book, Mindfulness, Bliss and Beyond, he goes a whole chapter about mindfulness, about this mindfulness as a guard, mindfulness to assist you in meditation uh, with this kind of uh, discernment about it, what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. And, uh, tomorrow when we do the meditation, I will uh, read out a passage from that book. I think it's also sold now under the name happiness through meditation or something like that. And uh, we'll go into a bit more detail.
about that. Um, shall I do more? Let's see how much more have we got here. Okay. I think I'll just yeah do it a bit, bit uh, quicker now, speed it up a little bit. It's already been quite quite a lot of information, hasn't it? <laughs> to me, it feels like anyway. I was supposed to do this course. Took, it was supposed to take much longer yeah, when I was supposed to do it in the in Western Australia. Supposed to take four afternoons or whatever. So uh, now I'm sort of condensing it all. With sati, with mindfulness, you recall the right practice, like a king who is reminded of his treasures by a treasurer. This is actually from the Melinda Panya, which is uh, part of the uh, Pali Canon, uh, a later text. But it's clear what the idea is, that with mindfulness, you recall the right practice. This is not a direct quote. I summarize the whole passage here. But for those interested, look it up. It's uh, quite clear what the idea of the writer of that sutta was, which wasn't the Buddha, by the way, but somebody else, but a very old text. Also has this reminding, uh, remind of your treasures, yeah? When you have a joyful mind, a kind mind, you try to keep those treasures. You're not ju non-judgmental. You realize that this is good, and you try to protect it. And this is from the Visuddhimagga, very influential commentarial text. And the same, very similar quote is also found in the Abhidhamma. This is a, getting very technical, but just for those interested. By its means they remember, or it itself remembers, or it's just mere, mere remembering. Thus it is mindfulness, that's why it's called mindfulness. Its function is to not forget. Gentleman here, when I said, oh, I may not have to teach you anything, when he said, oh, mindfulness means to not forget. I was very happy about that because here maybe you read the Visuddhimagga. <laughs> oh, you haven't. Well, you could have maybe. Uh, yeah. I have the to answer Okay, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Then, sir. basically says uh, for Sati, the word is mindfulness and Sampanjanya is awareness, clear comprehension. Yes, so, okay. Thanissar yeah. explains as Sati as not to forget but to keep something in mind. Yeah, that yeah, sort of means the same, yeah. Yeah, Tanishiro Bhikkhu, he has uh, written about this as well. Uh, same ideas, very similar anyway. And then from the suttas, we again have something like, teaching is for a who is mindful, not unmindful. It's for a mendicant who is mindful. They have utmost mindfulness and alertness and can remember and recall what was said and done long ago. This is from the suttas. This is... Uh, explanation occurs time and time again. For like a definition of mindfulness is you you don't have to remember and recall what was said and done long ago, but if you are really truly have mindfulness, then you can. And that's actually included in mindfulness as well, the ability to remember and recall. That's just what I wanted to point out here, that even in the suttas is it quite clear that it's not just about uh, awareness is also about remembering what you should do and what you shouldn't do in your life or in your practice. So then, awareness. We say, is that all there is to mindfulness? Who would think so? Awareness is all there is to mindfulness. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it very black and white here, I know, but 
Nobody. Who thinks there's something more to it? Yeah, okay, everybody. I'm, I'm sort of, how do you call these kind of questions that, uh, that imply an uncertain answer already? Anyway, I'm sort of leading you <laughs> with these questions, but you get what I'm going at here. It's not just awareness. This is what Ajahn Brahm says. The same Pali word sati is used for both awareness and memory. That's, I'm not sure now anymore. I'm, I used to think that as well, but after doing this study, I seem to agree more with what Ben Bhattanisaro said. What you just uh, mentioned that the uh, sati is more like the keeping in mind, the memory aspect, the, the not forgetting, whereas sampajanya is the awareness and that Technically, in the suttas, these are separate, but for practice, it doesn't really matter because you have to develop the both anyway. So well, what labels we give it doesn't really matter. Yeah? So that's why I said this is getting nitty-gritty now. Don't worry too much. I'm not 100% sure is this right or wrong. That's why question marks still showing. Maybe, maybe not, doesn't really matter. We can use either definition as long as we are aware that there's more to sati, to mindfulness, than just awareness. It implies also the ability to recall the instructions, to recall our precepts, to remember, or for example, to keep in mind your meditation object as Venerable Jayasaro explained, to not forget it. That's the point I want to get across here, not exact definitions, it's very boring anyway, but for practical applications we can use more than just awareness. So sometimes in your meditation you remember an instruction of what to do, and that's actually good. Don't think, oh, I'm thinking about the past now, I should be in the present all the time. No. That is not necessarily true. Sometimes you have to remember the past to meditate correctly. You have to rem remember the instructions of the Buddha. You have to not forget what is right or wrong to do. So that is what I wanted to get across here. And maybe we'll... Maybe one more thing then. Final quiz, how about this quote? This is for uh, Satipatthana. What is right mindfulness? Then you meditate on, or usual translation, then you observe a certain aspect of the body, motivated, aware, mindful, free from longing and aversion for worldly things. Some people have argued, well, here, what is right mindfulness? Means then you observe. So therefore, mindfulness means observing. I've shown the answer already, so hide the answer now. That's what they argue. Well, right mindfulness is defined, they say, as to observe a certain aspect of the body or a certain sensation or whatever. Therefore, mindfulness must mean just awareness in this context. Because it's defined, they say, as observing. Do you see what, what they argue, what argument they make? Or am I going too quick now, I suppose? Trying to finish all before 10.30. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going too fast. Excuse me for that. But for those who are maybe still following here, 
I would say interpret this in another way. This is not a definition of right mindfulness. When the Buddha says what is right mindfulness, he doesn't give a definition of mindfulness, but an instruction of how to use mindfulness in the right way. So this is all about what is right mindfulness. It's not about what is mindfulness. So the Buddha says here, when you use your mindfulness, your non-forgetting, you're not forgetting that you're focusing on certain aspect of the body. And you also see here that in the very explanation, the word mindful, motivated, aware, and mindful. Mindful is just one of the parts of this practice. So I would say this is not the definition of mindfulness, but instruction how to use it in the right way. And if that makes sense, then good. If it doesn't, then that's just because I'm going too fast now and I wanted to finish off this part <laughs> and that has nothing to do with you. So uh, I hope that was instructive and I hope you learned at least that there's more to mindfulness than just the present bare moments awareness, present non-judgmental present moment awareness or whatever definitions there are. Mindfulness is much broader. And next week, I will talk a little bit more about this, focusing on the word mindfulness itself. Could we translate it in different ways in certain contexts to get this idea across in translations as well? And tomorrow we'll do a mindfulness meditation where I explain also a bit more. For now, we may have a few more minutes for maybe one question. Uh, if anybody still has a question. Uh, London, uh, maybe, maybe I can speak to you after when we're cleaning up and th this gentleman can maybe ask it now. Yes, please. It was a really good question um, up the front there. Um, like when I've been on meditation retreats and I've been in them, in them over the years for weeks, um, sometimes, you know, my mindfulness when I'm meditating, I can, I, I'll have flashes of clear light. Now, I've, I'm of the opinion now, like I'm reflecting, maybe my mind's just gone dull and, I've, and I'm entering clear light of sleep. I've fallen, you know, like this, you know. So now I'm sort of questioning sort of, you know, some of the, maybe some of the experiences that I've had during that, you know, because that's really, that, that could be what's happening. My mind's gone dull and I've fallen asleep and I've just seen, you know, because <laughs> the same thing can happen when you enter clear light, you know. And, and I'm thinking, well, maybe that's what's happened there. It's, it, you know, I haven't been on the edge of a jhana or something like that, you know? What, yeah. How can I distinguish? Because my thinking, like, my thinking on that is that, that if you had have got me in that particular moment, I'm not sure they would have had that razor clarity that you referred to. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. Maybe I know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm sorry. Maybe I know what you're asking. Like, sometimes people think they have a really deep meditation where they just... Uh, actually are actually dull for a yeah, while. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, there's this kind of a place that you can find in your mind and it's actually described by um, meditation teachers. Uh, has certain names, but it's sort of, you can sit in that place for a long time and it's kind of pleasant, but you're not really aware. You don't yeah, really yeah. know what's going on. You're not really learning anything. And some people think that that is what what we 
I, Ajahn Brahm, etc., teach as jhanas is yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what they think. But then, no, they have no. Yeah, they're so wrong. I'm about, to, I'm about so, to start dreaming, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really you're so. It, it, it'll be unlike anything else if you ever experience. Uh, you'll be so aware, and you've never been so aware before. And you're, if you have a proper jhana. So I would be able yeah. to clearly distinguish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You wouldn't be. Oh, was this? A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might still wonder what the heck was going on. Yeah. But you'll know that this was some something really, really different. Yeah, yeah. No, that's and great. You, and then you'll. Uh, yeah. no, that's cool. Th- thank and you. It'll change your life, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe maybe we can do one more. That's okay. And then we go for lunch. Bante, could I ask a question from yes. the online one? So no online. Um, someone has asked, Bante, please, can you explain the relationship of self-consciousness to mindfulness? Self-consciousness. I don't know exactly what they mean by that. Just being very aware of yourself. Oh, like people get okay. very self-conscious and they... Mind. Yes, okay, yeah. Like, uh, um, could you explain it a little bit more, the, an example of it, maybe? Um, when someone is very self-conscious, maybe when they go into a group of people, they're just very aware of how other people might be looking oh, at yes. them. They become very aware of their their self, if you like. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not native English, so some of these words need a bit more explanation. Um, so what is the connection between that and mindfulness well you can make a connection yourself you can say okay the next time I feel this self-conscious coming up maybe I try to catch it early and uh, reflect in a way that that feeling goes away because you you recognize it's not a very helpful feeling. It's not a very helpful way to think about life. For example, when you walk into a group of people and you feel yourself con- you're becoming self-conscious and you can teach yourself to recognize that before it gets out of hand. And for example, think, okay, this group of people I'm walking into, they have nothing against me. They're just most of the time busy in their own life anyway and just thinking about themselves so what have i to worry about there's this quote by toro which is an uh, american philosopher is i probably will botch it up a bit but he said something like uh public no yeah public opinion is a weak tyrant compared to our own private inner opinions. So what what you think of yourself is always, uh, you think of yourself much more than other people think of you, basically. And your own judgment is, people don't think about you when they leave and they go home, they just think about themselves. <laughs> Another way to think about this is what you're usually with friends anyway. Yeah. When I have to do presentations like this, I'm just with friends. This is what my assistant professor taught me for my final presentation in university. He said, Simon, that was my lay name, don't worry about it. You're with friends there anyway. So this pre- 
all these presentations I'm giving right now have, don't really have any consequences. But my final presentation for university, of course, lots of consequences if that went wrong. So lots of reasons to be nervous and self-conscious. But I wasn't at all. I was really, really peaceful and prepared and it went really nice. So that's another way. Just remind yourself you're with friends. Yeah. There's almost literally a quote from the sutta to remind yourself of your good friends. And then maybe we'll get to that next week. So thank you everybody for listening. And now we can, uh, for those who stay for lunch, if afterwards you have more questions, you can come and see me in private. Thank you all for coming and online. Thank you for listening. And now we can pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. <laughs>